1: In my new book, With Mark Tim, mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be joined by Ron Carr. Ron's worked with leaders on six continents to eliminate risk, gain, buy, and achieve better results faster with the Velocity Mindset. His presentation and services has generated over a billion dollars in incremental revenues for his clients. He's the author of five, one, two, three, four, five, count books, including his latest bestseller, The Velocity Mindset. Ron, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Seth. Thanks for having me.
1: Our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started?
2: Oh, God. um, That was a long time ago, 1988 to be exact. Actually, we just celebrated our 33rd anniversary. It was a family tragedy that got me into this business, believe it or not. Um, I was in management in the computer industry. There was a lot of turmoil. And uh, I had to navigate a tragedy like I've never seen in my life before. The good news is, is that it worked out all right. But what I learned from that, Seth, was that life is too short. So if you're not doing something that you're passionate about, you better start doing it. And because of the upheaval in the computer industry, I started to go on my own business and my EVP actually funded me, so I started a sales training business that morphed into advising board of directors, keynote speaking, advisory services, as well as consulting, all on building on how to build a uh, growing brand, if you will.
1: I'm sure I know the longer version of that story. Obviously, it's in the books, and we'll tell everyone where to go to get them at the end. Let's talk about how did you come up with the velocity? What is the velocity mindset, and how did you kind of innovate that?
2: So Seth, you know, when you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Speed. Yes, and most people think that, but if that's all we think about when we think about velocity, most often what you're gonna wind up with is burnout. See, Seth, the, the physics definition of velocity is speed with direction. And what do I mean by direction? It's the end result, the thing that you're after. So the best way that I can explain it, you have to start with the end in sight first. So if you go to an airport, let's say uh, I'm in uh, Florida. So if you go to Fort Lauderdale Airport, and you want to go to Newark and you ask the pilot where we're going. And he says, wherever the winds take us, would you stay on that plane? And Probably not. Pro- <laughs> Probably not. But the way the pilots work is they don't, they don't start in the beginning. They start in the end. So they say, we want to go to Newark. They work their way backwards to Fort Lauderdale. What are the three waypoints Knowing if they pass those on the way? Then they calculate the storms and all the obstacles, and they find the best possible way to get you to Newark on, you know, safely. That's velocity. So if we now translate that to an individual, you know, most of us are task-oriented, not purpose-oriented. So by direction, I mean your purpose. What are you trying to achieve? Because if you let that drive you, that's gonna dictate the right actions you should be taking. Otherwise, we're all doing our to-do lists at the end of the day, we're exhausted and we had no time for anything. And then we ask ourselves, what did we really accomplish? And most often the answer is nothing. So to your question is how did I come up with this? I've been talking about Velocity for a long time because my whole thing with my clients was what's the fastest way to where you wanna to get to. I was also president of the National Speakers Association. And when I gave up the gavel in June of 2014, I knew I was facing a series of operations, mostly for my back. You know, Tiger had one level fuse. I had nine levels fuse. So for the next three years, it was I was off the speaking circuit. I was recovering in a lot of pain and you start evaluating your life. And, uh, you know, there were some great successes I had, but there were also some things I didn't even do. And when I asked myself why I didn't do them, it was one thing. It was the stories that prevented me as to why I didn't think I could do them. I got a new passion, Seth. You know, I've always been in sales and leadership, you know, helping my clients. And I still do that. But my passion right now is to get the bigger population of the world thinking about, you know, what it is they they really want to achieve. So at the end of a given period of time, whether it's a year, their life, whatever, they're not waking up disappointed and it's too late. And so the premise of the book, The Velocity Mindset, well, the secondary title is how leaders eliminate resistance, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster. But the whole premise of the book is what would the world look like if everybody acted like a leader and not a victim of circumstance?
1: Hmm. And
2: what I mean by being a leader is, you know, how do you lead your life? How do you lead others? How How do you influence others? And how do you take control of your destiny without blaming others or anything else? The first question that any leader worth their weight and salt asks, whenever something happens, good or bad, they always ask themselves this one central question before they start looking at anybody else. What could I have done differently? And that's what a leader does. A leader is always like increasing the game, you know, upping upping the antics, you know, you know, increasing the skill sets so that they could do it better. And, and be an example of what it means to improve. But more importantly, the reason they do that is because they know that they control their destiny. At the end of the day, they don't want to be disappointed.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Now, I know that you've advised board of directors of all kinds of different companies and organizations. Why in the book, why do you talk about why we should have a board meeting with ourselves? And what does that mean?
2: Well, that goes back to the question, you know, what could I do differently? So I came up with that because my first sales job was selling copiers way back when. And I was seduced by Royal Business Machines because they wanted to hire me. And they said, look at this copier. It's the first of its kind. No more liquid to mess up the clothes. It's a dry bond copier. No mess, no fuss. 15 crisp copies. And I said, where's the collator? Eh, don't worry about it. I'll come out in six months. Duplicator. Don't worry about it. I'll come out in six months. So I went and bought it, and, and then I started selling. And I go, you know, knocking on doors and speaking to office managers. And the first thing out of their mouths, I would say, "I'm selling a copy." And they say, "Great. Can you compete with the thing on the third floor? The Xerox. Can it duplicate? Nope. Can it, uh, you know, collate? Nope. Well, come back when you can." Well, after being kicked out enough times with the butt, with the door starting to hurt my butt as it kept swinging backwards. I said, you know, we need to start reevaluating this thing. So I had a board meeting, me, myself, and I went, went to where you go in New Jersey, a diner. And I started asking myself, you know, what's going on here? I said, I need to start making a living. What's the problem? I don't have the other features to compete. Well, you can't, you got to, you know, control your destiny. You don't know when that stuff's going to come. What are you talking about? A copier. What is, what's the response? They compare me to Xerox. So what can you do to change the conversation? And I thought about it, and a copy of Seth is nothing more than a communication vehicle. So on my next call, I went into this office manager and I said, would you agree that a, a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle? And she said, absolutely. I said, well, what's your biggest challenges when it comes to that? Seth, it was like she started laying down on the therapist couch. She goes, can we talk? You know, I take Sam or Beth, you know, on the first floor to go up to the third floor for one copy, by the time they get up there, chit-chat, then wait behind all those big jobs and come back down, it could take two hours. And I asked her, how often does this happen? She goes, try the equivalent of two full-time employees. I said, wow, would you like them back? She goes, how? I said, look, I'm not competing with the third floor. All right, you got a great machine there, keep it. I'm here to fill in the gaps. This machine, 15, 15 copies a minute, crisp, you know, clear bond copy, put one on every floor, you'll get those two full-time employees back. And I started selling three at a time. What changed? Not the copier, not my product or service. It was me that changed. It was the conversation, but it would never have happened if I didn't sit down calmly, look at what was happening, what was not happening, and coming up with a new way of trying it to see if we would get different results. That's what we talked about with that personal board meeting.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Repositioning and changing the conversation from apples to apples to apples to oranges.
2: Well, yes, and it it goes back to one thing. If if the actions you're taking are not giving you the reactions you want, all you have to do is change the actions.
1: I mean, you talked about that in the book, how pilots are off course. I think it's something like 90-something percent of the time on the way to their destination. How does that fit in in your board meeting with yourself with uh, what you talk about in terms of the art of the pause?
2: So, well, that is the order to pause. You know, I'm, I, was, I was pausing. I was taking time out to evaluate the situation. The thing about velocity, if what you're doing is not working, you know, the old rule of insanity, that's not velocity, but keep going. Velocity sometimes, and this is, this is really what freaks people out. You want to gain velocity? Sometimes you have to stop. You have to stop, re-examine, and then try it again. And that's when you're going to gain a loss. But if you don't stop and you keep going, 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 you get emotional and you get emotional around it, and it just adds to worse actions, what are you left with?
1: A lot of times, companies, entrepreneurs, we make these grandiose plans. And it might even be whatever software we use or whatever venture capital or investment firm we're looking for has us do this 100, 200, 300-page giant plan you business plan that sits in a binder on a shelf and actually never gets touched after we get the financing or whatever we're doing for it. You talk about how you could tackle any challenge with one sheet of paper. What does that, tell us a little bit about that.
2: So I call it the clean sheet, of, the clean piece of paper. And the best way to examine it is to uh, give you a case study. So there was this multinational chemical manufacturer in which I was brought into several divisions, spoke at the divisions, they all loved it, they all did well. There's one division that had me speak. I saddled up to the VP and we started talking and I said, so tell me more about your business. And he goes, look, you know, uh, we created a reagent that cut in half the cost of mining copper. Took 20 years to come out. When we brought it to the market in the mid 80s, we saved a lot of copper mines from going bankrupt. And he said, you know, next week we got a big meeting with the sourcing team of the biggest uh, copper mining company in in the world. And I said, so what does it look like? They said, well, we're number three in quality, but we created this industry. And I said, well, they're probably trying to, you know, put you down the size. How much demand do you have? 25%. We need more. And it's coming up for bid. Can you help us? I said, sure. So I flew out that Friday to walk them through a process. And I asked them the first question. They, you know, I said, what do you want as a result of my intervention? They said, we want to win the bid. And I said, that was not the question I asked. Take out a clean piece of paper, forget about the past. Right now, that industry, the only way they buy is bid for supply, lowest price every three years. That's what you know, and that's your experiences. Forget about that. What do you want to create? What do you want it to be? Fill out that clean piece of paper. And their passion came out, so they said, why don't we have to bid? We started this industry and we saved them. I said, so what do you want? We want a negotiated agreement. I said, great, how long? They usually buy three years, 10 years, life of the patent. I said, great, you got 25%. What do you want? 75%. And then I said to them, I said, look, you know, what you're telling me is you want to negotiate a deal, 10 years, 75%. And I said, you could really do that if you want, but it takes a different set of actions to get to that result than it does just to win a bid. And then, Seth, they asked me the fateful question. They said, how are we going to do that? And my answer was, I have no clue. And they go, what? And I said, look, I can tell already in my heart of hearts that you're not even doing one tenth of what we're gonna be talking about. We have the direction, where we wanna go. Clarity of the direction, exactly how we're gonna do it. And what comes up only comes from the journey. If we don't start walking the journey, start coming up with questions, start asking those questions, reassessing the information, seeing what it looks like, manipulating the information so we can see what we still don't know, go ask those questions. The answers will come from the questions we ask, but you have to trust the process. Now, what I do know is I'll get you close. I can't guarantee I'll get you there, but it'll be a lot better than where you are right now. But you have to trust me, and you have to trust yourselves and trust the process. But it all started, set with that clean piece of paper. And that's where people make a mistake. When they start thinking about what they want, they first said, oh, I don't know what I want. Well, start putting down what would be the ideal. What would the ideal job look like? What would the ideal um, life be looking for you, the lifestyle that you want? Forget about what you know the world to be. Create it. In my last book, Bleed So Get Out of the Way, You know, when it comes to sales and influence, I always tell people, don't compete, create It's all about creation, creating your destiny. And you can do that. But if all you're doing is creating it by thinking about what you know the world to be and what happened in the past, and all you're doing is creating the same results of the past, and people want to know why they keep going backwards.
1: You mentioned a couple times uh, the T word, trust. And every branding book ever written says people buy from brands they know, like, and trust. You talk about the neuroscience of trust. What is that and why is it so important and how do we generate more of it?
2: So when I speak on stage, you know, whether it's to leadership audiences or sales audiences, one of the things we say in the, in, in the title of the book is that you can eliminate resistance, right? So you know, what I do is I'll take two salespeople, let's say up on the stage, and I'll say, just start your conversation. 20 seconds later, I'll interrupt them. And, um, and I'll start talking about the three hormones in, in the brain that we talk about. So, cortisol is the fight or flight. So, the first thing you have to do as an influence, uh, influencer is understand that anytime you call, calling or anytime even calling an existing client, and they're not expecting you, you're an interruption. So, when you're an interu- interrupting someone's day, their cortisol is going up, you know, to where they're getting a little anxious and they're not really listening. Your job, number one, is to understand that going in. And number two, it is to create an environment that brings down that cortisol, not too low but to a level where they're engaged and they wanna talk to you. And what's the best way to do that? Make it about them, not about you. So what I'll do is I'll go to the salesperson, instead of talking about your products and services up front. you know, because that just elevates the cortisol even more, all you gotta do is ask this one question. You know, like when it comes to copiers, you know, as a communication vehicle, what are your three biggest challenges? And so we go for that and all of a sudden the audience sees a whole different conversation. And I'll interview the person playing the buyer or an employee if it's in a correction conversation or whatever and 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 I'll say well here's the quarter so where was it at the beginning they'll tell me did it go down yes we engage yes why and I'll ask this one fundamental question I said when they asked you what were the three things that was important to you about the the challenges of the copiers all of a sudden they would say oh my god you know I stopped thinking about the person was trying to sell me I was thinking about where I was trying to go. Were you emotionally involved? Yes, that's what you need to be. And I said, and then you calm down. Why did you calm down? And they were thinking about it and they said, well, because it was no longer about them, it was about where I was gonna go. And that's a topic that's at the heart of what's important to me. So then we bring in the second hormone, oxytocin. Oxytocin is a love trust hormone. Now, trust is earned, Seth, okay? But if you're asking the three things and someone's cortisol is out of whack, they're not giving you anything. But if you understand that your job is to create a safe environment for people to talk to you and you do it properly and you ask them what are the three things bothering you or you want to do or whatever, and they start giving it to you, then you're starting to earn a little bit of trust because you change the conversation to them or you. Now, you still have a lot more work to do. Don't get me wrong. You still got to deliver. And as you keep delivering, the trust keeps building. But that's what you have to do just to get into the game and to be considered. And then also the third um, hormone is dopamine, to feel good. Now, dopamine rides with oxytocin. You can't have dopamine without oxytocin. So I asked the people when that question was asked, did you start feeling better about the conversation? They go, absolutely. So for the audience, they see it's a transformation. Now, how do you do this in leadership? It's the same thing. I was in a CEO's office one day. And a supervisor from the manufacturer came in and he was like so upset and I said, what's wrong? Guy's late, he's making everybody else late and he's on his cell phone. I said, what'd you do? Told him to get off the damn cell phone. What happened? He said, why should I? Everybody else is on the cell phone. What'd you do? I told him to get off the damn cell phone and walked away. I said, how did that work for you? And I said, is the issue really the cell phone? He goes, yes. I said, no, it's not, that's the battle. You want to win the war. You're making a big thing out of something that's nothing. All right. What do we know about this person? What motivates them? Well, they want to be a master welder. What do you need for that? Quality and time. How's the quality? Perfect. That's why we love the person. How's the time? Usually good, but now he's 20 minutes late, so it could endanger his master welder you know, apprenticeship. So then you go up to him, and you simply talk about the things important to him. You want to be a master welder, right? He goes, yeah. Well, you need quality and time. Quality is perfect. Time, we're 20 minutes behind here. What do you think we can do to get you up to speed? And all of a sudden, miraculously, the guy started to give suggestions. The concept of the cell phone set never came up. And before you know it, they were back on time. That's the difference. And it's the same thing of what we just just talked about with the three hormones being enacted based on the process I just described for you.
1: That is an incredible process and an amazing book. For our folks who are watching and listening, where is the best place for them to go to get the velocity mindset and learn more about all things Ron Carr?
2: Well, number one, they can get the book at Amazon.com. They have great prices on that. They also want to see videos that we put out every week and also maybe take this stab at a leadership assessment we put online. Simply go to velocitymindset.com. You can take that leadership. It'll ask you for your email. You'll get our videos every week. And really, that's the only place you need to go to velocitymindset.com because there'll also be a link for you to buy the book if you like.
1: All right. This has been Seth Green for Sharkpreneur with Ron Carr, Velocity Mindset. Ron, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, Seth.
1: Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk to you or see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream.